Hello, welcome back to the Gather Around the Lamp podcast. I'm Regan and today I'm joined by Mark. How you guys everybody doing? Um, Mark Jerobi, you can find me at VillamarkPGH. Hope everybody's doing well after that uh, that awesome win we just had. Yeah, uh, it's been it's been a uh, an incredible couple of weeks really to be an Aston Villa fan, hasn't it? Um, yeah, it's it's definitely been something else. Uh, I I don't know. It, it's starting to the excitement's starting to turn a little bit nervy. But yeah, it's just nothing nothing but good things so far. Yeah, I don't I don't quite understand that because like a couple of weeks ago when you know we were starting this unbeaten run, it was literally like jubilation. It it was the fact that we were we were playing so well. And we knew, really, we could we could beat anyone on their day. We beat Derby four nil. We beat Middlesbrough three nil. You know they're they're there or thereabouts this year, to use a a Bruce a Bruceism. But um, you know it's it's now getting to the point where we're fearing the banana skin games like Rotherham and like Millwall and like Bolton that are coming up. Yeah, it didn't seem like there was a lot of a lot of faith in the squad going into the Rotherham game. I don't know if it's because their form at home's been been pretty good, or I don't know if it's like you said the uh, the culture of Aston Villa for years and years past has been, uh, you know, just having a banana slip game or you know one of those things where we can see the goal late, you know, which we've been known to do in previous years. But uh, it, it was as good as Villa was in the second half. It was just as good as Rotherham was in, in the first half. And you, you got to give credit to that team. It definitely came to play yesterday. Yeah, and they, they started off strong, to be fair. They they uh, they nearly capitalised on a mistake from Neil Taylor early on, um, allowing Rotherham's Taylor, John Taylor, through on goal. <clears throat> and um, he he probably should have scored, but he, he rather than shooting on his weak foot, he shot on his strong foot and it... Uh, it went wide of stairs net. Yeah, I think we've seen more uh, more times that uh, Jed Steers touched the ball in the opening ten minutes than he has in the past five games. Uh, I haven't looked that up, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's close. He, he was, you know, Steer had to do some some working around in the opening ten to fifteen minutes, and it wasn't that Villa was bad. It was just rather just wanted to come on. They wanted to play a certain way. I, I think they they caught Villa a little bit off guard with how pacey they could actually be. Um, you know, but they, you know, Villa did a good job of weathering the storm here the past past two games now. So, uh, yeah, but that the, the steer thing, he was he was really really good. It, it, nothing crazy, you know, no world class A's or anything like that. But he was very solid. It was exactly what you want to see from your keeper at this time of the year. Yeah, and I, I like the phrase that he used, weathering the storm, because you know we've we've been almost riding our luck the past couple of games, and you know if you keep riding the storm, at some point you're gonna get wet. Um, but you know we we came at Rotherham early on. You know they had the the better chances for about four or five six minutes, um, and then Albert Adoma had a chance which which was blocked, and Cora Horohan's uh, follow up was blocked as well. Um, but from there, Aston Villa were then awarded a penalty in the eleventh minute as uh, Jack got uh, got fouled as he worked his way into the box, and uh, Tammy Abraham stepped up. Yeah, Tammy stepped up. Um, you know, Jack winning the penalty, just just the, the idea of him winning the penalty, I don't see why he can't do that more often, and I'm, I'm sure that might be something, you know, that it's, it's just he's not getting into those areas to do so. Um, but that's, I, I, I don't know, like the Tammy penalty, it just seemed bad. It's it, it just seemed like a really, really bad pen, and that's something I don't think you see from, from Abraham. You give him 10 chances, 
just you know from the spot I, I think you only see that happen once and it, it, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a shame that it happened right then and there with how brother were playing leading up to that point but uh yeah fair play to jack for getting in the box and just you know running his man and you know he make, makes a person have to make a decision i think the uh the tommy penalty was him almost trying to show off a little bit um i th- i think it could have I, I i think he might be onto something there um he he He's he's a smart guy. He he knows what kind of form he's in, and I'm sure that he wants to put as many goals in the back of the net to see you know what happens with him in the summer. Um, I, I just I don't think it's the the time of the year to be trying to show no. off. You know, there's this trend at the moment of the uh, the Penenka penalty. Um, I think there was one in the MLS that was almost uh, embarrassing. The um, the miss just straight at the keeper. Uh, last week and and I think I think Tammy probably would have thought you know what I'm going to hit like this weak shot and uh, you know embarrass the keeper here but uh, you know it completely backfired and Rodak saved it. Yeah, it's it's fun to see those kind of things and it always gets a rise out of the supporters. You know, both you know for the team they're cheering for and and the opposition. You know, it always get a rise out of supporters. People love seeing that kind of skill. I just think there there's a time and a place. Um, and like you said, it's really trendy right now for the Paneka goal, you know, off the spot. And I think I think keepers are a little aware of how popular it is right now. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you, you kind of got to pull it out of the hat when no one sees it coming. It's a, it's a magician's trick. It, it's not something you should you know have in your to, you know go to shots when, from the from the spot. Yeah. But then not, neither side really had much of a chance after uh, we, we missed the penalty until until around the thirty third minute. Um, when Tyrone Mings received his uh, second yellow card of the game. Uh, that was for an alleged handball. I don't think, I don't, I still, I'll, I'll probably go to my grave saying that the first yellow wasn't a yellow, but I mean, I guess well, it, you know, that's that's why we, we have referees. It was just him reacting to being clipped, wasn't it? Yeah, and like, if I mean, obviously everything looks worse when you slow it down. A lot of people won't admit to that fact, but it doesn't matter what it is, sports or otherwise. If you slow something down, it's always going to look a lot worse. There's gonna, It's going to look like, you know, there was malicious intent most of the time if it is a physical clash. Um, it looked to me like, uh, I can't remember the player that he got into that spat with, but it, it looked like the, the Rotherham player actually caught him with a, a little piece of his elbow on the back of Tyron's head. So, of course, he's going to turn around and say something to the guy. You know, Tyron's a, a big man. He's not going to just take that kind of, you know, it is competition, but, you know, yeah, he's not going to take that kind of abuse on the pitch. And I, I just don't think that's a yellow. Just pull the two aside and say, hey, listen, cut it out. Both of you, I saw what both of you did, just cut it out. But I get, you know, that's that's the debate right now. Yeah, so he was uh, he was sent off for an alleged handball, uh, for a second yellow, um, and you know players usually get booked when they do this on purpose. Uh, you know, think Suarez against Ghana in the World Cup, but th- this handball didn't look like it had any purpose in it. I think Mings was off balance, and he he leans forward into the ball and it hits the middle of his arm. Um, but you know that the referee saw fit to book him for a second time, send him off, and Villa can't appeal it. Uh, because it is two yellows and he's going to miss the Bristol City game, which is a big, big miss. Yeah, it's a real shame. Um, you know, Mings, you're going to miss him regardless. I, I don't, you know, I, again, I don't, as he's, for the second yellow card, you know, for Mings, he's basically looking at the corner flag, you know, on the far side of the pitch. He's jumping to his right and then the ball comes in on his left-hand side. Um, he's just trying to make a play. I don't think that it was intentional. And to agree with your point wholeheartedly, I don't think it merited a, a yellow card. 
Um, it, it just it didn't seem like there was a lot in him trying to. It's not like he put the palm with his hand out and smacked the ball away. You know, he, he was legitimately trying to just block the shot and or get out of the way. It happens. Um, he will be a big miss for the Bristol City game. That's very, very obvious. Um, I'm hoping that Courtney Horace can come back in and, uh, you know, pair well with uh, Axel Twanzebe. I don't think that would be a bad partnership. That's best case scenario. But also, you know, we've, uh, you know, we've seen Mila Yedinak, you know, yesterday put in, put in a real shift. He actually put in a very, very you know, good shift. I'm very proud of Mila. I really am. Yeah, he was the uh, second highest rated player on the pitch behind uh, Jack Grealish. And really, that's that's mainly down to his aerial presence. You know, he... he I, I wrote an article last night and I said that he was Mings before Mings was Mings. Um, you know, there's all these memes going around on social media of Tyrone Mings uh, and his heading ability. You know, some, someone says that something comes towards him in the box and he's heading it straight out. And Mila Yednak was doing that before... Uh, Tyrone Mings had even come back to full fitness, never mind joining Aston Villa. Um, you know, a prime example is uh, the the playoff semi final against Middlesbrough last season. But you know, he did that incredibly well against Rotherham, and he's the kind of player that re- really relishes games against you know uh, rougher rougher sides. Yeah, and I was I was kind of a, a huge uh, huge back. I I very 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 uh, like on social media and everything. I really backed the idea of Bruce turning Yedinak into a center back. I got a lot of stick for it. Um, people will still probably give me a little bit of stick for it. Uh, now we're talking that he's probably been training, or he, he in training he's probably been playing as a center back for the better part of four or five months now. Um, I know that it's not actual game time. I know it's not actual like meaningful minutes. Uh, but he's most likely training there with how how much depth is in Villa's midfield. So if you really put that thought in the play, like you actually could see Mila Yedinak be a decent center back for if he's you know thrown into that position for the rest of his time at Aston Villa. Now at the time that he was thrown in there under Bruce, maybe he wasn't as good in the center back position because he's used to playing either as a center mid or as a, as a central defensive mid. But now I think you're starting to see him actually get it. He looked very very sharp last night. There's, there's no two ways about it. I, I haven't seen anybody have any kind of gripe with his game whatsoever. And it seems he's one of those veterans when his number's called upon, he comes running and he's going to do a job. I think I do think it makes sense. You know, Older players do change positions. Um, we've seen James Milner play for Liverpool at left-back and I think at centre-back at times. And he's not, you know, he's not the tallest of players. Um, Wayne Rooney moved to central attacking midfielder when you know he, his legs weren't weren't as they should be for a striker. So it, it does make sense to turn uh, Yednak into a centre-back uh, option. Um, and, you know, it, it, it paid off. You know, I don't think it necessarily didn't work when under Bruce. He, looked, he did look a bit shaky, but he was receiving some really good ratings every game. And once again, that's because of how many uh, aerials he wins. Yeah, he's really good in the air. And he's probably one of the... The, the more experienced players we have and it's not a knock on Whelan by any means but I, I just feel that you know Yedinak has that kind of aerial presence to where Whelan doesn't and I think Whelan has more of a tactician's point of view than Yedinak does uh, Dean Smith was was very complimentary in the uh, post-match comments after the Rotherham game about how you know Whelan and Yednak once again and he said he's said it a couple times now since he's he's been head coach Aston Villa they really do set the pace in training you need those kind of people at the club. You know, we talked about that on the previous podcast, the whole mental state and psychology that goes into building a, a winning culture and a winning squad. Um, 
Yeah, if if Yedinak has to play the Bristol City game, I I won't even bat an eyelash at it. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take it as it comes and, and watch how he plays. Um, I I really do feel he'll he'll put in another good performance if he has to, you know, go back to that center back position. Yeah, I do think he might struggle against Bristol City just because of the uh, the difference in pace. They have some uh, some fast attacking options. One of which is uh, Andreas Weiermann, uh ex Villa uh, academy graduate. But yeah, that's that still breaks my heart that he's not with us. <laughs> still, <laughs> yeah, it's it's been it's been years, and it's still just one of those things where I I loved watching him play, and I, I still even now I, I keep little bits of tabs on him about you know how how he's doing, and he he scores some fantastic goals over the past month and a half. So I mean that's just it's it's definitely one to look out for. You know maybe the pace will be a little bit too much for for Yednak, but I mean that's that's why they play the game. Yeah, but um yeah, Tyrone Mings his handball. Uh, resulted in a penalty for Rotherham, which uh, Will Volks managed to bury past Jed Steer. Um, and Will Volks was probably Rotherham's best player on the pitch. You know, he caused a couple of issues, and a lot of uh, Villa fans had their gropes with him on social media uh, for some tackles on Jack and, and things like that. But um, I, I, I would, if Rotherham do go down, I would take Will Volks as an option from the bench. I think he's got to be on any team shortlist, you know, I mean, with Rotherham being where they are on the table and possibly heading to League One here, if not already cemented, um, he's he's got to be on a lot of teams shortlist. He, he put in a really good performance yesterday, and he seems to be very vocal on the pitch. He seems to be someone who has leadership qualities, uh, doesn't seem like he's anywhere near entering the twilight of his career by any means. So I, I definitely think that's probably one to look out for. I don't know if it'll be Villa, but I, I definitely could see someone throwing money at him to keep him in the championship. Yeah, and it's not often you see a, a centre mid score a penalty and then run off and do a double backflip celebration either. Yeah, some athleticism there, man. I would, I would have pulled 92 different muscles in my body trying that one. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the sending off resulted in the introduction of Yednak, who uh, who slotted into the defence alongside Twanzebe. And then uh, Anwar al Ghazi. Uh, moved to play just behind Tammy Abraham as uh, Yednak came on for a doma. So there was there would be no point playing playing with just one winger. So um, El Ghazi turned into somewhat of like a shadow striker uh, for the remainder of the first half. But n- nothing really came of those movements, and uh, you know they went in at the break one 0 down. Yeah, they went in one 0 down. I I think that. I think Dean just Dean Smith just wanted to see what would happen with those substitutions and see if maybe he could he could uh, just find a, a small pockets. I mean they they were trying to work balls a little bit more in the channels after Ming sending off. Uh, it didn't work. He I mean he he goes into the room and man I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of, of that team talk, you know in the locker room for Villa and just see what he said. But whatever he said, it definitely paid off in spades. You know the team team comes out. Uh, Pretty pretty fiery there to start off the second half. Completely, and uh, the second half saw the introduction of Jonathan Codger. He replaced Anwar El Ghazi, and uh, Villa turned into a four-three-two. Uh, they had El Mahamadi, Twanzebe, Yedinak, and Taylor in defence. McGinn, Hurahan, and Grealish in midfield, and then a front two of Tammy Abraham and Codger, which actually worked in the uh, the first meeting that Rotherham and Aston Villa had this season. Yeah, it definitely worked out. It, it's, it was really, uh, I mean, it, not in a bad way, but it was strange to see Villa play with two up top, even though that they were reduced to 10 men. Um, you know, the joke's going around today that John McGinn, you know, with the sending off, it's, you still basically have a, a midfield intact, uh, which it's not, it's not a lie. John McGinn played his socks off yesterday. But I, it was, I think it was, it's, 
there's a little bit of a partnership that could stem from the Rotherham result between Tammy and Kaja. Kaj seemed like he wanted to hold up play a little bit more, and Tammy was able to get you know off the off the flank a little bit by rolling off you know a defender or the uh, the right back there. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I don't think you see Dean Smith go to two up top, but in the event that we do go down a man, like obviously we have seen that that has that has an, an ability to work. I I do think that neither of them are used to playing with another striker. Um, you know, there were times that Tammy was was really kind of, I guess, aggravated at the fact that Kodja wouldn't pass to him. And um, I think, I think you know, Kod, Kod, everyone knows that Kodja is one of those kind of selfish forwards. He's going to try and take his man on. Uh, whereas Tammy will hold up the ball a bit and play in someone like McGinn or El Ghazi. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's a really, really old word phrase, but, you know, strikers want to strike, and they all want their foot through the ball. They don't want to pass to anybody else. That's the whole thing about playing with two strikers up top. You know, it's, it's just tactical, you know, acumen when it, when it comes to football. Um, I, yeah, I think that they're both so used to being almost on an island that they feel that, like, there can't be two islands, you know, so to speak. There has to be just one. This is my domain. This is my area of the pitch. Yeah. So, yeah, you did, you did see Tammy sometimes, like, yeah – you know, Kaja had the you know had the chance to maybe slot him in a couple more times or get him a ball earlier, put more of a softer ball into his feet, and he didn't. And you'd see Tammy's facial expressions, or you see you know his hands down to the side or palm to the sky, you know, wondering what's going on. But like that's kind of a striker's mentality. You always want that ball. It doesn't matter where it's coming from or who it's coming from on the pitch. You want that ball in your area, so you know you, you can you can try to slot it home. So I think that's a, a tough thing, especially with how much Tammy has scored this season. And uh, how much Kaja actually ha- hasn't, you know, um, but you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change the fo- the tactical formation out the gate. But in the event that something happens and you're behind, I wouldn't hesitate to to try that again. Yeah, definitely. And you know, Kaja made an instant impact. Um, the third penalty of the game was awarded when uh, El Mohamedi's cross hit Ajayi's hand in the Rotherham box, and uh, you know, Tammy stepped away, and Jonathan Kaja stepped up to take the penalty. And this was only three minutes into the second half, um, and you know it was it was a quality penalty. He slammed it into the top right hand side of the Rotherham net. Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised his laces didn't snap. He, he it, I think it meant something to him, you know, especially with you know Tammy missing the penalty. It was I think there's probably a piece of Kaja. I mean, he is he, he can be a very greedy player. He really can sometimes. But I think that he was like, okay, well if Tam's not going to do it, then it's my night tonight, and. Um, he just he put his foot completely through that ball, and it was it 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 really did mean something to him. You can t- tell by the look on his face. You know, I'm I'm sure he still wants to contribute. It's just a shame that, you know, for him personally, not for the supporters, but it's a shame for Kaja that he's not getting you know much time on the pitch. And when he is, it's in a position that he hasn't really played much in the past couple seasons. So I, I, I awesome you know goal from Kaja it was a really really you know powerful finish and everything, but. Yeah, I, I think you know you, you most likely see Kaj on the on the other side of the uh, other side of the pitch on the flank than you do in striker these days. Yeah, but uh, you know the the whole team rallied rallied uh, for the second half. You know Jack Grealish um, looked incredible as he uh, he made it two 0 just three minutes after Jonathan Kodger had slotted down his penalty. Um, he he constructed that entire move. He had he had the whole Rotherham side on strings. Um, he he drew in three Rotherham players at once. Uh, played a ball to Neil Taylor, who played it back to him, and he he was off. 
I'm, I'm probably, people might laugh at this. Uh, I'm completely honest. That's the kind of things that top, top tier elite footballers do. There's no doubt in my mind about that. You, you can say I'm wrong. That's fine. That That's right up there with the top, top performers of any league in the world, that, you know, of, of the top. I don't, it, and he talked about him, you know, getting the ball and he's got three people around him and he passes the ball off and then makes his forward run. So he had those three people on, on the flank that he that he just beat. Then he beats two more. Then he beats another two more when El Mohamedy throws the ball back into the box. You know, that's, there's, there's a lot of movement there. That's that's a world-class team goal. And, you know, Jack Grealish was, was at the start and at the, at the finish of it. You, you can't say enough about it. There's not enough superlatives in the Oxford Dictionary to be able to say how great a goal that was as a team, especially when you're down to 10 men. I, I don't I, – I was just shocked, you know, just to, to see how we performed. And you, you, you would get the people, oh, it was Rotherham. They're going down to League One anyway. I don't care who you score that goal against as a team. That's an amazing goal. That's, that's just something. I, I don't know. That's like one of those Jackie goals that I feel like I'm going to remember for a long time to come. I think all of Jack Grealish's goals are uh, one that you're going to remember, though. You know, I don't think he does things in halves. No, he doesn't. He doesn't score tap-ins, and that's that's the thing. You know, people that might not be too keen on the villain, they just look at Jack Grealish for his haircut or his lack of shin pads. They don't want to admit how good he actually is, and just just show him the last last seven games now, and you'll you'll see how good he is. Yeah, definitely. But you know, it was a it was a real team performance. Obviously, McGinn's been getting all the plaudits today for the, the sheer amount of effort that he put in. But um, you know, Kodja did have an incredible game. There was moments when he was a uh, rouletteing and nutmegging players, winning corners, and you know he could have had a chance to uh, to make it three uh, one towards the the end of the game. But he, he just blasted his shot over the bar. But you know, Horahan had a quality game as well. Um, I think. I think it was nine percent of the possession he held of, of Villa's possession, which is it's, you know it's no mean feat really. No, that's that's a really massive thing, and you think about you know how involved he actually was, you know the amount of touches he had on the ball, and he went about a, went about his business quietly, and he did everything that you know you want from a player in that position. You know we've been seeing Whelan get most of the. Uh, you know, most of the starts here in the past couple of games. It probably was a it was a good game. I I did agree with that substitution by uh, by Dean Smith and the, the rotation in the starting eleven to bring Horahan in for Whelan. Um, and he just he played so well. And but nothing nothing crazy. Yeah, he he might have skimmed a few balls out of the stadium. You know, he connected on one that went really really wayward to the right of uh, Rodak, and then he had another one that he shot right at the keeper. You know that you know. It, those things happen. I'm not. I'm not going to discount his whole performance over a couple of misplaced shots, but it's just the, the whole entire midfield is so locked in right now. It's just the laser focus. You can see it. Uh, yeah, Jorge had had a great game. Yeah, and you know sometimes you win games with uh with your midfield, and that's certainly been the case in the last couple of uh, matches for Aston Villa. Yeah, they're they're doing things really really well. It's it's kind of the basic stuff. Like everyone's going back to the, you know, the Stoke game. You know, the draw against Stoke, and you know, all the players. You know, said most of the players actually have said, you know, that was like a turning point. Like we really felt like we were onto something. We were starting to get to our game and do the simple things. You know, right again. Um, I I think it's been, obviously been on show since then. It's, there's, there's the chemistry that's built. You know, taking players in and out of the, of the lineup, and they're they're still performing. You're still getting a lot of uh, meaningful action in the middle of the park from your midfield. 
you know, they're working really well with the wingers. They're working really well with the strikers. They, they don't seem to shy away from – the midfielders aren't shying away from when they're in danger, turning it around and putting it back to steer, getting it out wide, you know, to the left back or right back so they can try to hoof it forward. Or, you know, it's, it's – everything's just so calm and cool. And even, even in a, a poor – not a poor performance, but a lackluster performance against Rotherham, it's just a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, and that's that's a key point. You know, the, the second half was impressive, but the first half was one of the poorest halves of football I've seen us play under Dean Smith. Um, and you know, if we if we start the game against uh, Bristol City that way, after they scored three goals in twenty minutes against West Bromwich Albion, we're going to get severely punished. Yeah, it's, things have to change against Bristol. Um, I'm sure Dean Smith and the coaching staff know that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of question marks going in if Courtney Horse is going to, you know, return to fitness. Uh, it came out today, I can't remember, I think it was one of the Birmingham Mail writers, I think, that said he's suffering with a hip flexor problem. That's usually not something you just get over in a week's time. That usually takes about two weeks. Um, I, You know, you see that happen in all kind of different sports. That's usually about a two-week recovery period if he's having problems being able to rotate his hips in and out to run laterally. That's basically what a hip flexor is. Um so that's that's going to be tough for a center back, you know, of, of anybody on the pitch. You know, a center back and a striker would probably be the the hardest to recover from something like that. Um, but yeah, there's there's got to be you, you can't be getting punished by Bristol. It's definitely a six pointer game. It's definitely an important game. You don't even need to necessarily win this one. I, it would be great to win it, but just I I do fear the whole thing that Bristol's faster. They're very very clinical at finishing when they get in their in their groove. Uh, it's just you, you can't be having anywhere near I think that first half you had against Rotherham against Bristol or they're, they're gonna like you said they're gonna severely punish you I think of the normal season this is the most important game Villa will have played this season oh, I can agree I don't I don't think that there's been I mean there's been other ones that maybe have been hyped I mean obviously you know the you know the game against Birmingham City is always going to be hyped you know the baggies game is always going to be hyped but I think when it really comes down to it, when the bone hits the marrow, this is probably the most important game that, that Villa have had since the playoff final. And I, I'll put my neck on the line and say that. I think, I think it really is that important to win this game. Yeah, 100%. But, you know, let's, let's rewind the clocks a little bit and let's take a look at the, uh, the Sheffield Wednesday result uh, of the weekend. I, I only caught 60 minutes of the game. Uh, so, you know, I, I missed out on the best parts of the game but we'll we'll start from the start and um it, it, it we started off well you know i thought i thought we had a chance to to score early on through uh, anwar anwar el ghazi but it was it was wednesday that opened in the scoring uh, opened the scoring sorry um with gary hooper scoring his first goal in i think around 2 years yeah he's had severe injury problems and man that goal was just so strange villa <laughs> Villa was just like looking on top and everything was looking fine and then just a really really just strange set of circumstances and Gary Hooper puts one in, in the in the back of the net I mean we didn't have to wait too long to equalize against Sheffield Wednesday but I, I don't know it was it was just one of those things that you know Villa concede you know they have have a little bit of a, a history of, of conceding goals early through this seven game run and almost going all the way back to the last 15 games now um, so that, that that's something I'm sure uh John Terry and any defensive coach is trying to put it into. Well, it's almost as if we don't go behind early on that we're not going to win the game at the moment. Yeah, it seems like you need that little their uh, 
like it takes a minute for maybe the squad to wake up and that and the, that can only happen with a goal and it's like we're cl- not even clawing back like we go down and then it's like okay well we you know that woke us up thanks you woke up a sleeping giant and uh now we're here to play um I, I don't know if that's the safest way to, to play football especially not with some of the more offensive minded players we have at aston villa but you know that's definitely something i got to work on well uh o'kelly did an interview with the club about a week ago and he said that um he's he's trying to instill something in the players that if they make a mistake don't dwell on it and just do something to you know endear yourself to the fans they'll get behind you and you'll you know some some players will sit there and they'll focus on a mistake they've made throughout the game and they will just have the worst performance they've ever had in whatever shirt they're playing in but they're trying to instill in them this this kind of thing that I've made a mistake, so I'm going to really prove myself to the fans that I deserve to play the full 90 minutes or I deserve to be starting the next game or whatever. And they're, you know, they're trying so hard to endear themselves to the home, the home faithful or the travelling faithful. And, um, you know, you saw that with Neil Taylor against Rotherham. Uh, you know, he had an awful start to the game. You know, he was flat on his face within a couple of minutes. Um, but I don't think he stepped a foot wrong after that. No, and, and Neil, Neil Taylor's definitely shown that over the past number of games now that he's totally able to, you know, it, it, again, I've, I've, I've said it until, until I'm blue in the face, he, he's not a, a world beater left back by any stretch of the imagination, but he does things really, really, really well as far as having that short-term memory. And what I mean by that is like when you're on the pitch and something bad happens, you have to have the mental tenacity to just forget about it. You got to forget about it as soon as it happens. You can't beat yourself up about it because it's not only obvious to the supporters in the stands or the supporters watching on television, it's obvious to your opposition as well. They can pick up on that. Body language is a real thing. People take note of that. So you can't be making these mistakes and then dwell on them because they're just going to keep trying to do the same thing to you. Once you make a mistake in a certain area, they're going to keep targeting how and where you made that mistake they're going to keep going at it that's what makes sports so much fun to watch um but yeah it's having a having a short memory for the mistakes that villa have made and there haven't been a a crazy amount but there there has been an amount through the seven game winning streak and i'm sure they work on them but yeah kelly's right you know you gotta you gotta forget about it you know do something do something else get get the fans behind you because i mean the villa supporters will get behind you as long as you're giving it your all even if you make a mistake you know that's just the way the, the Villa, especially the traveling supporters, that's just how they are. It's in their soul, it's in their blood. Yeah, and the traveling supporters were uh, were in fine form against Sheffield Wednesday. And, you know, they, they really backed the team. And it only took 22 minutes for uh, Aston Villa to have equalised against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, you know, Mings played a long ball. And, you know, that, that people, people underestimate, underestimate how much uh, Andre Green had an effect on this game. Because if he didn't reach that slide in, slide in and reach that ball, that goal wouldn't have happened and the game could have gone a completely different way. But, you know, he, he swipes in and he gets the ball into the box and there's McGinn with that inch-perfect finish. Yeah, Andre Green to get that ball uh, back into the area was insane. For, for lack of a better term, he just showed bad-ass speed. He, he had an idea in his mind that he can catch it. Uh, and, you know, and that, that's the whole thing is, you know, he's young. Andre Green's only 20, you know, but to have the belief in, in your skills and your athletic ability to be able to try and, you know, chase that down so it just doesn't go out for it. I mean, that was, that was a goal kick. Any other player on the pitch, maybe, you know, couldn't be able to, you know, run that ball down. And he 
you know, he had it in his mind. You see him, like, the ball's starting to go, and he just takes off. You know, not only takes off to, you know, keep the play alive, but also to, you know, dig out a cross, and then McGinn just opens up his body. And it, I don't even think he took a swing at it. I think he just kind of, like, deflected the ball, which is a really, really difficult thing to do. I've, I've only actually, you know, I, I probably couldn't count on both hands how many times I've seen a player with a ball coming out that sporadic off the wide area and then just tilt, you know, just take a – take a basically just putting his foot out he's deflecting it's almost like a pull shot it's very you know really really difficult to do from again but yeah all, all credit to uh andre green he definitely showed what he's about and where his heart and where his head's at on that play yep definitely and the, the game kind of died down a little bit after that you know the, especially on a from a villa perspective and you know i think sheffield wednesday enjoyed a lot of the uh the, the chances and possession um for the majority of the game really um and it didn't really look good for Villa when uh, Tyrone Mings, that name again, uh, stuck out a leg to fell Gary Hooper in the penalty area. Um, and Stephen Fletcher stepped up to take the penalty. And it, really, it was, it was a poor penalty. But Jed Steer was there to save the day and he kept the scores at one all. Yeah, after after the Sheffield Wednesday result, you know, and this, this goes back to having a, a brilliant coaching staff and you know, brilliant, you know, analysts or, you know, film crew or whoever's doing it. They, he said that, you know, before every game, they, you know, sit down, you know, the night before, or maybe it was two nights before he said, and they talk and they go through film about what the penalty takers, like what their tendencies are, you know, when they switch things up, their run up to the ball, you know, how, how players actually attempt to try and win penalties. And it, it, it wasn't a great penalty by Fletcher, but it was one of those things that steer was he, I, th- I think he knew exactly where that ball was going. He had he had belief in himself where he knew he was going, and that the save happened exactly when he needed it to. Um, yeah, just a, just a wonderful thing because you, you never you never know with with guys stepping to the spot. You don't know what they're going to actually do. You can read all the tape you want and you know all the all the stats and and statistics. You know it's just you never really know. But Jed Steer looks like that's something that's really really important to him is doing you know the studying and brushing up on potential penalty kick takers. Yeah, and I think you know whenever a keeper saves a penalty, it's always the same thing that's said. Uh, you know they've been researching about it. You see things in like the World Cup. You see like. The, the one that sticks into the mind for me is uh, Joe Hart um, watching uh, on a tablet. And I think Pickford did it at the the recent Euros. No, sorry, it was the recent World Cup. Um, you know, they sit and watch tablet and see where they're likely to go. And, you know, often it pays off. Yeah, it pays off. And that's just another part of the game. You know, technology starting to do some really, really wonderful things for the game in terms of, you know, actually looking up statistics or trying to get a beat on what the actual opposition does, what they do well, what they don't. You know, there's there's crazy amount of analytics out there, you know, at the moment. I'm sure it's only going to get more crazy as time goes on and technology continues to evolve. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Yeah, it's probably every, everybody is doing it. You're right. But I, I, it's weird, like, looking at Steersaid, it was almost like he, like, took pride in it. He had this, like, cheeky little smile on his face, like, oh, yeah, I knew where he was going. You know, I, we did the we did the film thing. But I like that. I like the fact that he kind of looked, he not arrogant. Arrogant's not the right word. He, It's almost like he looked proud of himself, assured of himself, that he, he knew where Fletcher was going. And, again, not the greatest penalty ever from Stephen Fletcher. He probably would like to try that one again, but eh, that's not going to happen. For sure. Um but, you know, 69 minutes had gone in the game, and uh, Smith did a, a relatively uh, common tactical su- substitution and brought on Albert Adoma for Andre Green. Um, and, you know, the, the game continued to 
plod along, you know, that not much was happening. And in and in the dying moments, uh, Codger's shot was palmed away by uh, Kieran Westwood, and there he was, Albert Adoma, who uh, slotted away from an angle, uh, causing limbs in the away end. And you know, he he did his uh, geriatric celebration as a little bit of a dig to Steve Bruce. Oh, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I, I've been a big fan of Adoma. I, I wasn't very sure at the beginning of the season um, that he was going to be able to emulate his form of last year. Um, I've always thought highly of him. I just it's in such crazy form last year and then this year he hasn't you can tell he, he might have lost a little bit of pace and you know a little bit of stamina as well um but uh, i went i went crazy i don't i don't, I don't know there's probably a couple of people listening but if you go you know under a gaslit lamp facebook or twitter you, you scroll down enough um yeah i i lost my mind i was actually on my way to work and like i i it was the dying embers of the game i thought it was over so i i closed out the uh avtv feed on my pc and put on the audio on my headphones and i went to go send my girlfriend a snapchat like i'm gonna be late for work over a, you know over i'm not even being able to win the game and he scored it in my headphones and i absolutely lost my mind um and i eventually was late for work but they they excused me for it which was pretty nice once they saw the video on social media <laughs> but um yeah, with, with Adoma, he, he, right place at the right time. I read an article about it and everything. I love the one-two punch of Adoma and Andre Green. Flip-flop him any, any which way you like. I do prefer when Andre Green gets into the game and he kind of runs the opposition around a little bit, tires him out down that side of the flank, and then you put on Adoma in the latter stages for his experience. And even he, you, you look at Adoma and you don't think he's really that pacey, but then he always finds a way to like kind of either outpace a guy or make it look like he's about to and then cuts the ball inside. He just, he's one of those players, and, and when he, he puts that ball past Westwood against Wednesday, I, I, just, I was just so elated. I, 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 it's just right place at the right time, Adoma. He's done it so much during his Aston Villa career. Yeah, especially last season. Um, I'll try and, try and uh, clip the... Uh the sound from that video and I'll try and uh, put it in the podcast for anyone that wants to hear it uh, make sure your volume's not all the way up you're going to lose your eardrums get the fuck in but yeah um, just two minutes later Tammy Abraham uh, unbelievable um, I know he did an interview post game and he said that he was uh, in centre back trying to defend uh, and stop Sheffield Wednesday from grabbing a late equaliser, and uh, we won the ball back, and it fell to El Mahamadi who just started sprinting, and um, Abraham said that he could hear Tyrone Ming screaming at him, saying "Stay back, stay back," and he just ignored him, and he ran and ran and ran. El Mahamadi played the ball into the box. It was a bit of an overhit cross, but uh, you know it, it went to a Sheffield Wednesday defender. Um, Abraham used his gadget legs, as he referred to them, referred to them as. And um, you know, won the ball back before slotting away, and you know it really was a, a, a an incredible goal. And his celebration really showed how much that goal meant to him. Yeah, he was getting a little shut down all game. Um, not not massively, but there. Wednesday was doing a good job of do, of stopping him from doing the things that he does well. And when it, that happens to Abraham, he we've seen it this year. He, he's known to get a little frustrated for whatever reason against Wednesday. He didn't get as frustrated. He just continue to work harder that's a testament to how who Tammy Abraham is he's getting a lot better at it he's you know his temperament on the field you know you'll see him with his hands up when he doesn't get a ball exactly how he wants it um like you said you know he used the term gadget legs um 
I'm actually kind of surprised there hasn't been a, a chant created with the Inspector Gadget theme with Gadget Legs and Tammy Abraham's name in it. <laughs> I think it would be brilliant. Um, you know, that's that's just me and you know fantasizing a little bit about about some new chants at Villa Park. Um, I'm not sure how that would work, uh, to be honest. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna embarrass myself with uh, trying to even sing it. But believe I. I mean, instead instead of Inspector Gadget, I, special, I guess you could say Inspector Tammy. Right, but... Yeah, that's pretty much what I was getting at. And I, I, you know, I just think it would be a fun little thing. But yeah, he, what a, what a goal! I mean, just you know, getting the ball and then you know, basically almost running around the defender and and, and placing placing it into the goal. That's just just he he wanted it, and I, I think he wanted it because he knew that he was getting completely contained the entire game against Wednesday. You know, yeah, he would he would be in link up plays, and like you said, he would run back to center back, and he was just trying to you know kill off the game. But yeah, it, it's just one of those, it, that meant something to him, and you can tell. And then he does the knee slide and like the freeze frame, and you can actually hear and see the flash bulbs and everything. And I was just like, oh, this is this this is such a you know a FIFA you know Alex Hunter moment for him. It's it's not it's it's <laughs> it's not even comparable to anything else like you've seen just with him sliding into it. The the fans, you know, the the traveling. Villa fans going nuts next to him is it just such a such a good moment. It was one of those things that I'll, I'll probably think about for a couple of seasons. Just smile about the the Sheffield Wednesday result. There's a key word that you used in that in that little uh, little bit that you were speaking about then, and that's want. And that that that's something I feel that this team has in absolute abundance. They want to win. They want to prove themselves. They want that promotion. Yeah, for me, um, it, it comes down to body language. Um, again, I've, I've spoken about it on other podcasts. I watch a lot of other sports other than just uh, just football. Um, there's there's a look that, that a collection of teammates get, not only when they're looking at each other, but when they're looking towards the supporters or they're looking at the coach on the sidelines, yelling instructions. Um, also seeing things such as after the Rotherham game, where you know it's I don't know maybe five minutes after the game and you've got Tammy Abraham and uh, Tyrone Mings you know and they're they're kind of like hugging each other and smiling they walk over to the away support they clap them up uh, Mila Yedinak walks over he gives a shirt to a young fan these are all very significant signs of want and they know that they 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 just they're keeping the faith and it's 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 a cliche to say that but i really do believe the entire squad every single one has bought into the idea under dean smith that we, that this club needs to be back in the premier league and i you know i know people say we're not ready yet and people say that you don't know what's going to happen once you get there that's true i'll take that gamble because as of right now present day seven games on the spin there hasn't been a, a better aston villa team since we've been in the championship and they deserve to go up they want it it, it's you can just tell the body language is there their performances are there the never say die attitude it's all on the dotted line and it's just on them to sign the rest of it to get to get promoted it's it's a it's you know a little unfortunate we got to do it through the playoffs but i think if we get if we act you know when we get to the playoffs no matter who we face they're gonna have a hard time against villa this is a very tight-knit group it's starting to seem like a family it's starting to seem as tight-knit as it is in the supporter sections and at home at Villa Park on the pitch, that's dangerous. People, you know, other teams don't want to go up against that. I think if we do get promoted, um, I, th- I don't think it matters whether we survive or not, because it, even you know, obviously, I want I'd want us to stay up, but 
it resets everything. Yeah, it, you know what it, I mean in in terms of financial fair play, all of that. Right. You know, we might we, we might gain players, we might lose players. You know, it's expected, but it's so important on so many levels. Rather than just like a emotional level, it's it's important on a financial level. It's important to keep Jack Grealish at the club, John McGinn at the club. We we we'd have a chance to sign the likes of Mings, Abraham, Twanzebe, and and more if we were to go up. And you know, we if we were to go back down the season after, we we might lose one or two. But it, I I would go as far to say, even though we've got new owners and. You know we're a bit more financially secure now. Well, a lot more financially secure. But I would I would go as far to say that this year's playoff uh, contention is more important than last year's. I, I would agree a hundred percent. And yeah, just like you were saying, you know, you go up and even the the slight little chatters about point deduction about uh, FFP. You know, financial fair play and talking about you know every team in the championship we play. Oh well, you better win. Like look how much money you've spent. All right, yeah, it's it's old now. It's old. We we have heard it. You know, we we get it. You know, that's it's something that previous ownership tried to do. Tried to buy out of their way out of the championship and failed. It doesn't feel like we tried to buy our way out of the championship this time. It seems like we just really really wanted to succeed, and that's the difference. We and like you said, you go up and that the FFP thing goes away. You don't have that on your back. And I think, just like you said, it's a reset button. You know, it's 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 going back to more financially stable times. It's going back to the league to which every Villa supporter believes they belong. I mean, I know people that don't watch Villa whatsoever, but they're aware of Villa, and they're like, how, how is Villa not in the Premier League? They're, they're supposed to be. Like, it doesn't feel right. The league doesn't feel right without the likes of a team like Aston Villa. We deserve to be there. They're, you know, Villa's a giant club. So I just, I, I'm, I'm, me personally, I'm really starting to believe that, that this is this is the makings everything that's going on right now the seven games on the bounce the team spirit the want the drive the individual performances the team performances it's all coming together to look like this team's really actually going to get back to Premier League um, I, I just I don't want the heartbreak of, of the of the Tom Kearney goal in the final <laughs> but you know that's that's why it's why you watch you know for just to see what happens but but you know I'm I'm excited either way. I'm not gonna lie. If if we get promoted, you know that's probably going to be the best moment of my my uh, football supporting life. But at the same time, if we don't get promoted, I, I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, we, you know, we might lose Jack Grealish, but at the same time, the way that Dean Smith's been talking, uh, you know, saying he's on a long contract, he's the captain, etc. Um, etc. Et but you, you know, if if we stay down, I'm excited to see us do things. Like we should have been doing for decades, I'm excited to see to see us bring through young talent. I'm excited to see us sign players from League One and the lower ebbs of the Championship and turn them into absolute league beaters. Yeah, I've had a conversation with with quite a bit of a of a football fans that actually you know pay attention when I talk about the Villa, you know, like I always do, and they they ask me they're like, well, what do you guys, you know, what's Villa going to do about you know the loan situation? And I, I you know I just let them know, hey, I don't um. I don't know if you're aware, but like Villa, Villa has some really decent up and coming talent, and uh, you know they always ask, well, you know, you're probably not going to get Tammy Abraham on loan again. You're probably not going to get Axel Twanzebe on loan again. And I was like, yeah, but we have we have ideas for that. You know, it's it, it's not a fearful thing. And like you said, if Villa does stay down for one reason or another, you know, yeah, 
if they do stay down next season, might be a, a very small transitional period as far as getting the youth blooded into the the, uh, the senior squad and things like that. But like you know, that's that's kind of you support your team no matter what. I, I was never one to you know to stop caring or not not putting full attention on, on a club that I support just because they're going through a little bit of tough times. I mean, if we got any Aston Villa fan, you got through the summer after the playoff final loss, you can get through pretty much anything. You know, you can get through a couple of 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds walking onto the pitch and, you know, even even further helping the club because the financials aren't crazy. You're not playing, paying crazy amounts of loan fees for, for other teams' players. Um, I, I think regardless, either which way, Villa will be just fine. I, th- I think we got new ownership at the right time. But, man, I just I, – I want to buy a Villa kit – next year with a Premier League badge on it. It sounds so corny. That's all I want. <laughs> it's all I want. <laughs> Don't we all? And I think I think that's probably the best place to end this episode of the podcast. Um, if you've enjoyed it, give us a rating on iTunes. If you've enjoyed it, give us a subscription on Spotify. Do what you want. You know, if you if you haven't enjoyed it, let us know. Let us know how we can improve. Um, and other than that, there's around just over a week left for the Football Blogging Awards voting. Uh, we've made the finals in the uh, Best New Content Creator category, and we'd appre- really appreciate it if you could vote for us. You can vote for us by going to footballbloggingawards.co.uk forward slash vote hyphen now, uh, clicking the drop down on New Content Creator and voting for Under a Gaslit Lamp. Or you can go to our website, underagaslitlamp.com. There will be a pop-up that will allow you to vote there. Um, and you can also go to our Twitter, look at our twin uh, pinned tweet. And th- there are the options of uh, how to vote via the Football Blogging Awards website or via a tweet. You can do both if you so wish. Thank you for listening, guys, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>